No, she's like, it wasn't me. Um, yeah, but no, we're, we're very excited uh, that he has birthed uh, his latest CD, or rather, God has birthed it through him. Um, and it is called Strangers, Orphans, and Widows. Oh, my. Um, the oh, my actually isn't there. I like to add that on. Uh, but it's out there in the atrium as, long, as well as his other CDs. Uh, and it's some great stuff. You sing some of it in here, uh, even if you do not know it. Um, the second one is this, Costa Rica. Our Costa Rica mission trip is coming. It will be June 5th through, the Ju- through June 10th. Um, it's a great time to go. Thank you, Hammer. Uh, a great time to go and, uh, and, and to be with the people of Costa Rica. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity to, um, to serve others. But anyone who has ever been on a mission trip will tell you that. You get more out of it than you give, I guarantee. Uh, one of the great uh, things that's happening this year, a new thing, is a few years ago we started working on this park in this little town called Carrios. Um, and it's a little part for the kids to come and play, and um, it's about finished. Uh, over the course of a few years, other teams have come through. We were building a retaining wall when we were there, so it was like way early on. Um, and now they are about ready to go. And one of the things they've asked us is, if you have artists in your midst, we would love to give you a section of the wall to paint a mural. Um, and so I said, absolutely, we want to do this. Um, I'm like, well, I don't know if we have any artists coming with us, but I figure we're going to do this. Uh, so uh, I'm calling all artists. I'm calling everyone who is called to go to uh, Costa Rica in this trip. But if you have the gift of art, um, painting, uh, something of those lines, uh, we would love for you to come to talk to Ryan um, Jacobson about it or myself uh, to see what it is. They, what they're going to do is they're going to give us a section of wall. They're going to give us paint, whatever we want, and uh, we come up with the design ourselves and, uh, and, and give that to them as an expression of worship and love to the kids who will play there throughout the generation. So there's that. And then the last um, thing I have is uh, called the bridge. This is something that's been on the hearts of those of us kind of in leadership for a while. And you've heard it come out probably if you listen to me um, preaching, which I know... You know, 80% of you don't, but those of you that do uh, may have heard this throughout the tenet of some of my sermons. Um, I think God has given us a desire to get people from where they um, accept faith into living a life with Christ, being a full, devoted disciple, um, not just putting um, um, God in a box on Sunday morning, um, but breaking down that understanding of being a Christian and seeing it throughout um, the entirety of your life. And so what we want to do is create this academy. Um, if you will, off campus uh, somewhere. Uh, we don't have a place yet. Uh, we kind of have where we think God is, is leading us into what it looks like. Uh, a two-year program um, to walk with people, um, to teach, to pray, to worship together, to get people to understand that where they are, um, is, they can be the person God wants them to be where they are. You don't have to go to seminary to be a disciple of Christ. Praise God, you should say for that. Um, you don't have to um, be a worship leader or a pastor to be a minister. You already are. Um, and so how do we get people in that understanding? And what we're asking you is we need help. Um, you know, uh, the, the knowledge that we have in, in listening to God is, and I know God can talk to us, and we whiteboard stuff in our office all the time and have kind of a, a curriculum set out. But we're all the body of Christ. And so we're going to have two meetings on the first two weeks of February. Immediately after the service, the 5th or the 12th, that you're invited to either one uh, to come and we'll pitch the idea out in a little bit more detail. And you can tell us where we're um, absolutely um, wrong um, or you can um, give your own ideas, whatever. Uh, We want to make this a discussion 
uh, about this idea of the bridge. So we would um, encourage you, invite you to these meetings after uh, the 11 o'clock service, and it's convenient that you are already 11 o'clock people. There you go. Um, That is it. If you have questions about that, see me afterwards. Matthew 22 is where we find ourselves wrapping up the book of Matthew chapter 22. And if you have been here, you remember that what's been going on is, as I called it last week, the stump of the rabbi, right? The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, they're all kind of coming and taking turns, asking questions of Jesus, trying to trick him to saying something that they can then throw the book at him, that they can then um, prosecute him, punish him, get rid of him. So they keep throwing these questions out at him and he keeps answering them with great skill and great wisdom. You know, because he's God, but he um, answers these questions and he just like gets them quiet. But they keep coming back, keep coming back until now. Verse 41. Then surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit call him Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called him Lord, how can he be his son at the same time? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It was like Jesus was playing along up until this point. He goes, you know what? I've had enough of this. Bam! Gives them a question they cannot Answer And because they, do, they don't have the right answer for it, they walk away. He's about to go into this um, just unleashing on the religious institution. Chapter 23 opens up this Jesus just going, Whoa, attacking the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious institutions of the day. He just tells story after story about just destroying them. But right here, before he gets into this, he makes them be quiet. It's just bringing an end to this whole stump the rabbi game. Jesus is like, that was fun. Now stop and listen. But the question is important. And I think we need to look at why he asked what he asked. See, what he's quoting there is from what Daryl read uh, a little bit ago or quoted a little bit ago. Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is one of the messianic Prophecies. It's one of the scriptures that you look to, to see who the Messiah will be. The Pharisees would have known this. The Jews would have known this to be one that points to him. And so when he asked them the question, whose son is he? He essentially is setting them up for his answer. Because the, the chief belief was that the Messiah was the son of David. In fact, Jesus himself has been called this twice already in the book of Matthew. The son of David. He will be the son of David. And yes, that is true. He is from the line of David. Therefore, a son of David. But the problem here is the understanding of what that means. When Jesus throws out, my Lord said to my Lord, that means God said to the Messiah. And David calls them both Lord. So the question is, how can he be both father and father? And yet servant to the Messiah. He can't. So whose son is Jesus? Is the Messiah God's son? And the understanding of who the son of David would be is where we find the trick here. 
See, their understanding of the son of David was that um, the Messiah was going to be a military, military, political, violent leader. This isn't anything new. If you've been reading Matthew along with us for the past two years, you know that this bubbles from time to time. When they find themselves talking about who the Messiah is, they always have a misunderstanding. They're always looking for this powerful military political leader to come in and to wipe the world of anyone who is not the chosen people. And you know, you kind of can't blame them. They live in a world of oppression where they are oppressed, where they've been destroyed. Like their people have been wiped out. They've been kicked out of their country time and time again. It's in the history of who they are. And so you would want someone to come up and go, oh yeah, now it's the Jews turn, you know, bam. But time and time again, Jesus goes, no, you're missing it. Remember when JTB sends his disciples to ask, are you really the one? Because he was in this mind of, well, I thought the Messiah was going to be this way. And Jesus is like, no, I am the Messiah and I am mighty and I am powerful, but not in the ways that you expect. It's a power through sacrifice rather than through violence. It's a power through love rather than hate, through inclusion rather than exclusion. It is a different understanding of what they were looking for in a Messiah. So to call him and to limit him to the son of David was wrong. And Jesus was once again pointing out to them, look, you're pigeonholing me. You're trying to fit me in to a small area when I'm so much bigger than that. And think about it. What was the question the Pharisees just finished with? Their last question. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, rightly, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, your exceedingliness, as we talked about last week, with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you take those two commandments and you look throughout the entire tenet of Scripture and you look at all the different commands of God, you will find that those two encompass everything. That that is it. Love God and love others. End of story. Love God, love others. What has Jesus Christ asked us to do? Love God and love others. So then you go back to this messianic uh, um, Psalm 110 and you look at what it says. If you listen to Daryl or if you go back and you read it and you see there's some violent language in there. Destroying kings. I love, he was reading, is that the message that you were quoting from? Yeah, the kingmaker. I love calling Jesus their God that. He's the kingmaker. It sounds like, I don't know, something from Bravo. Um, but, you know, he, he, there's this language somewhat of, of violence. And so the Jews are picking up on the son of David, violent military leader. And what Jesus is saying is like, no, you're... You're missing it. Yeah, things are going to be my footstool, but it's going to be sin and death and sickness and illness and hunger and thirst and all of these things that when I come back for good will be gone. Those are the things we're going to wipe out. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't say, love the people who are like you as yourself. Love the people in your immediate vicinity. Love the people who are Jewish. No, he said, love your neighbor. And that meant everyone. Everyone. 
When later he says, go into the nations, he doesn't say go into your nation. He said, go everywhere, sharing my love, teaching people about me. And the Jews were trying to limit him, put him into this one little designation of the son of David, which is true, but he's so much greater, so much greater. So much more powerful than that. The power that they had in mind for him was not the kind of power that he brought. Not the kind of power that he is. Yeah, violence was in the plan, but it was violence against him. Death was in the plan, but it was his death. And his resurrection. I think, I think where we find ourselves sometimes these days is we do the same thing the Jews were doing. We attach a label to Jesus and we limit him to that label. We essentially put Jesus in a box and say, this is who you are. You are the Messiah, yes, but these are the limits of the Messiahhood. We say that Jesus exists that God moves, that glory is seen on Sunday mornings. This is where we encounter the Messiah. This is where we encounter the love of God, the son of David. Right here. And then when we leave, hey, Jesus, we'll see you next week. The Jews had this understanding that limited who God was and who Jesus was. And I think sometimes we do the same. We limit him to an hour, to a quiet time, to a Bible study, to a worship service. When in truth, he is limitless. When in truth, as Rob Bell says, everything is spiritual. Everything. There is not an ounce of your body that isn't touched by God every moment. There's not a place in this world that God doesn't know, doesn't love. There is not a being on the face of the earth that God did not lovingly create. And yet we put a box around God and say, God, you operate here. No way you operate in those Muslim countries. Wow. No way you operate over there because they don't look like us. No way you operate in people that live that kind of lifestyle because that's just not right. We limit God and we say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to engage with you on Sunday morning and I'm going to get my little check off. It's like, you know, we talked about it last week, living the resurrection, Eugene Peterson's book. It's, it's going from that place of faith in Jesus Christ to what we do, want to do with this academy, to being a true disciple. That it's not just about believing in Jesus Christ and leaving it at that. It's about taking the gifts and the power that he gives us and moving into the world in greatness. His glory. That song, show us your heart. Show us your way. Show us your glory. You ever think about that? That's big. That's gigantic. God, show me your heart from 11 to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. Show me your way during my Bible study. Show me your glory when I lay down at night to pray. Nobody puts the Messiah in a corner, you know? Yeah, I just want Patrick Swayze on all of you. 
move the table and let Messiah come out and dance. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are one who has accepted that gift, then you better get out of the corner yourself and find where he's moving. Show us your heart, your way, your glory. Those are big words when you talk about God, the creator of all things. Fire, fall down. What does that mean? Do you sing that passively or acceptantly? Do you sing that in a way just because they're singing it? Or do you sing it in a way that you're like, yeah. I've never tried this out before, but God, let's let's let your fire fall down. Let's see what this feels like. I mean, Daryl talked about it with Elijah. Anybody ever said, hey, hey, God, show me something. And then when he shows you, you're rocked to the core. God's big. God's powerful. God's loving. God doesn't want to be put in a corner. He's too, he cares too much for us for that. God doesn't want to be told, hey, I'm going to meet with you here in my prayer closet, but then I'm going to leave you in that prayer closet. God says, I want to be with you every moment, every waking moment, every sleeping moment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, with everything. When Jeremiah prayed, when he he was talking, he's like, hey, you know, I have this... I have this stuff that I, I need to tell you, and um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you um, about it because it's kind of cool. No. He says, it's a fire that burns so greatly that my chest is going to explode because I can no longer hold it in. That's passion. When the disciples heard from Jesus to go into the world, they went, hey, that's great, Jesus. We're going to stay right here in Jerusalem because we know people here. And it's cool. And we can talk about you and it's safe. No. They went to the world. They were killed because they believed in Jesus. And they knew that that was coming, but they didn't stop. At one point, Peter is arrested and he's taken to jail. And there's 16 soldiers guarding him. And late that night... An angel of the Lord comes in and he knocks Peter upside the head and goes, wake up. Let's get out of here. The chains fall off of Peter. He gets up. He walks out. The gates open. Sixteen guards. Nothing happens. Their intent is to kill him, but God sets them free. He says, not yet. Peter doesn't end up well. He dies for his faith. Why? Because when that experience happened to him, when he's in prison and his life's at jeopardy, he didn't go, you know what, man, I have pushed it to the limit, guys. I'm going to have to stay back and do the church administrative section of things, and I'm going to go ahead and send you out. You know, Paul, nobody likes you anyway. Why don't you go out there? (laughs) No. He was on fire more than ever. He's like, (laughs) game on. When Paul, speaking of Paul, goes into Ephesus and he starts preaching about some stuff and it's making some people a little bit angry because it's hitting them in the pocketbook. So there's this theater in in Ephesus. 20,000 people are in this theater. They're screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis. It was the God that they were worshiping. And Paul's like, no, 
No, let me tell you about Jesus. He wants to go in there. They want to rip his head off. He wants to go in the middle of 20,000 people and go, let me just talk to you about Jesus. He didn't stay on the outside and go, you know, I'll get to them when they calm down. He's like, let me in. His disciples are like, no. And they pick him up and take him off. Like, your time's later, brother. When people hear the call of God and they allow the spirit to dwell inside of them, when you allow it to just come out, man, show us your way. God, show me the way you want me to travel. Guess what? There may be times where it's calm, but not all the time. Because we live in a world of darkness, and if we are called to be the light of the world, to be the body of Christ, to go into the world and teach people about Jesus, we can't do it in a corner. We can't do it if we limit who God is, when God operates, who God loves, who Jesus died for. If you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's time to ask for the fire. It's time to ask for the fire to fall down in such a way that you're spitting on the person in front of you. Think about it. Fire, fall down. It's the perfect song to do this, right? You don't care about the person in front of you. This is why, you know, you should sit in the back row, I guess. (laughs) I feel like, but you just leave it all out. Look, I know some of you people, when you go to sporting events, leave it all out there. Spurs. These Spurs fans, and you just get all nuts whether they lose or they win, and you, and you go crazy, and you're excited, and you jump around. Or Football fans. Some big games on today, right? AFC, NFC championship games. Some big stuff. There will be people all over the country screaming, cheering, yelling, supporting, and yet none of them are on the field. College sports. Oh my gosh, you people. You Longhorn and Aggies. Man, bow to the greatness of the frog, you know? <laughs> and y'all had a visceral response to that, didn't No. You know, because we have these, these things, and yet if I, if I come in and I say, hey, Jesus doesn't live here, he lives everywhere. How many amens, hallelujahs, yeah, do we get, you know? My life is not about God once a week. My life is about Jesus Christ and God every moment of every day. Now look, I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't live that way all the time. I forget sometimes and the Michael side of me comes out and it's ugly. I mean, not on the outside. inside. But there are times when I have to remind myself that I'm living for something greater than what I want, because what I want for myself isn't nearly as good as what God wants for me. And if I limit God to one thing, to one place, to one hour, to one aspect, not only does the world miss out on the greatness of God, I miss out on the greatness of God. And so we're doing a redo here. Y'all did pretty well. I'm not going to lie to you. You did a whole lot better than I thought. I'm calling fire. Yeah, we, we had a few songs I was going to today. Um, and, and we're going to do a redo of the fire fall down song. 
And look, you may never, and Daryl invited people to open up their hands at the first service and said, just, you know, like fire fall down. What does that look like? Just the Holy Spirit fire. Jesus Christ says, I'm leaving a counselor with you. You're going to have power. You're going to do things better than I did. What? He walked on water. He brought people back from the dead. He healed people. He goes, you will do these things and more. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. But we, if we put it in a box, if you put the Holy Spirit, Jesus God, in a corner, there isn't the room to dance. And so we're going to redo fire fall down. And I want people to be wiping the backs of their heads because you cannot contain the passion inside of you. You're like, fire fall down. doesn't matter. You want to sell it all for something, sell it all for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Something that gets you somewhere, not for the longhorns or spurs or cowboys, really, like that's an issue. But you leave it out there for him. When David comes in in front of the ark, how is he dancing? Crazy. What's he wearing? Nothing. And he doesn't care because it's the glory of God. And he's just like, I don't care what's happening right now because this is awesome. His wife has issues with it, but no one else does. That's how we need to begin to live our lives. Not naked, please, but with this exuberance that people see something different. They see the breath of God upon you. The fire of God that dwells inside of you and you begin to live your life in such a way that people are like, wow, something, something. And it begins with accepting that gift. It begins with crying out to God, show me your heart, your way, your glory, fire, fall.